going to pass the offering bags and we're going to get started. So we're looking at James chapter 1, verse 18 is where we're going to start. We kind of ended with 18 last week, but we'll pick up there and we're going to make it to 27. Um, the story of, of James in the background there, you have some very poor migrant farmers who have been kicked out of their land and they are under the impression of rich uh, oppression of rich vassal lords, landowners that are in cahoots with the Romans. And so it's a very fledgling, poor, oppressed church who is very vulnerable because they don't feel like they have a voice. Have you ever felt that way? Felt like you didn't have a voice. Well, this church felt like they, they didn't have a voice. And how many of you know when you don't feel like you have a voice, you're more apt to listen to other voices that are trying to tell you, here's how to have a voice, right? And what we've got to remember is, is though it seems like we don't have a voice in the world, that if our heart is right with God, we have the ear of the king of the universe. And Jesus ever, liveth to have, ever lives to have intercession at the right hand of his father. So we have Jesus' ear, and Jesus has God the Father's ear. So there's never a moment in your life where you don't have a voice, even though it feels that way. So this vulnerable church who's being oppressed, who's, who's really struggling to, to make ends meet, has no power, no say-so. Um, the, their landowners sometimes don't even pay them, and then there's nobody to answer to for not paying them. So they're just at the mercy of these people, and they just feel like they're being tugged in every direction. Whenever that happens, there's other voices that pop up to try to say, here, I've got a voice for you. And so this undercurrent that was happening at this time in James was this revolutionary attitude where these people thought, hey, here's, what, here's how to get rid of Roman rule. Here's how to overthrow people. Here's how to make an impact in the, in the earth. We need to band together and we need to declare war on Rome. That the problem is the governmental structure that you're in. The problem isn't your heart and who you are and your character and those things. And so these revolutionary voices begin to appeal to the peasants so that they could, have, uh, they could have soldiers in their army to help them fulfill their needs. And this is what always happens. If you'll notice, the intellectuals in communism or anywhere have to find people that will fall for their propaganda so that they can get enough people to say, look, we're a majority, and then use them for their own ends. And so this revolutionary voice that was coming through was tempting because they thought, yeah, you know what? These people are doing us wrong. We should band together and we should attack them. We should band together and overthrow them and that's how our voice is going to be heard. But James has different wisdom. James has wisdom of God. And we can't get it twisted. We serve a crucified Savior who died in the flower of his age. So if we're following a crucified Savior who died in his 30s, who was killed by governmental systems and religion, <laughs> you see what I'm saying here? That we're taking the path of Christ and we're saying love never fails, even when it looks like it fails. So all these voices are, are vying for these small churches of poor people that are having to meet in houses who have absolutely nothing. 
And so what James is trying to do is counteract that voice and give them the voice of the Lord. And what we have here is a fast forward of what happened. Because we can look at 70 A.D., which this letter was written in about the 40s, uh, 40 A.D. At 70 A.D., the Roman Empire rises up, crushes the Jewish people who were revolting against the powers that be. So James is trying to curtail that and say, hey, look, this isn't the path. This isn't the path. The path is to keep following God, keep serving God, because we tell you something, the carnal mind will always get political. The carnal mind always goes to politics and power structures in order to oust godly people. Always. That's how it always happens. Who are the, Jesus' most feared and most violent enemies? The religious and the governmental structures. So what do you think Satan uses the most in order to get rid of the people? So Jesus is walking on the earth for three years. And he's able to do ministry for three and a half years. But that last year, there's something revealed in the scriptures that says the Pharisees had had enough. And it's when the Bible tells us this, that they all begin to follow him. They didn't have a problem with Jesus in year one. Didn't have a problem with Jesus in year two. Year three. And then that last little bit, they started to have a problem with him. The, the Jews hated the Roman rule. But when they wanted to crucify Jesus, who are they going up to? Hey, Pilate, uh, will you help us crucify this guy? Oh, you like me now? Well, yeah, because you can accomplish the thing that we want you to do. They didn't want anything to do with Rome until it had to deal with crucifying Christ. So the governmental structures and this, this, this thing, is this is what the carnal uses in order to have power. If you ever notice, okay, we're just going to just dive into this, okay? Uh, I might be fired after this, but... <sighs> Anybody got my back? It's a few people. Okay, okay. Do you notice, do you think what the day we're living in is worse persecution than Peter and Paul and what they were living in? No. It, no. No. <laughs> Okay, do you ever hear Peter or Paul make statements like this? Boy, oh, Nero's really putting it to me. Let's band together, create a political party, and overthrow them. The only time you hear them mention leaders, pray for the leaders. They're talking about praying for the same ones who want to lop their heads off and crucify them upside down. What the New Testament is trying to establish is, is that the governmental systems and the ideas of revolution are not the way to go. 
that the way to go is the gospel of Christ and the way to go is following Jesus. And even if it means your life, the God of heaven is somehow going to work it out for some glory and some good. So we have the Christians who are being thrown to the lions, who are being made a spectacle of, who are being persecuted, killed, driven out. And then what do we have here? Uh, The religion spreads like wildfire. Where Tertullian says this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That they saw, if they were martyred, they saw, wow, Christ must want that for his own. So let's go there and build a church. That we got to be careful where we try to find an expression. That we got to make sure that we are people of the word and the gospel first and foremost violence will never work it'll never work and this is what James is trying to tell them I know it's bad guys I know you're, you feel like you're in a corner and I know you feel like you don't have a voice but don't listen to these revolutionaries with their, with their rhetoric and with their tone because all they're going to do is draw you into a carnal battle that's Satan's realm of operation And then you're going to lose all power because you're not going to have love anymore. You're going to be on this side and they're on that side. We're right, you're wrong, and you're never going to cross over. You're going to see people as your enemies, and instead of loving your enemies, you're going to hate your enemies. And it's going to create all this vitriol and hatred and bitterness and backbiting. And James is saying, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in that. We better dive in. All right, James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, so James here is saying here that the word of truth, the gospel that was preached to you, you guys are this here, these Christians here were some of the first Christians. So James is saying, you guys are the first fruits. You guys are setting the tone for the rest of the age and for the rest of the world. They see themselves as small, as little, as nobodies. And James says, nobodies, you guys are the first fruits of the new creation. You guys are the reality that God wants to bring into the earth that's going to change everything. Albeit sometimes by suffering. So they felt they had no voice. He says, no, you're the first fruits of what God actually wants to do in the earth. Regardless of the other stuff. So he's like, live as if you're what God wants to do in the earth. Quit thinking you don't have a voice. You're the first fruits of what God wants to do in this city. How long have you been saved, Holly? Almost a year. You're the first fruits of what God wants to do in this city. I'm telling you. Don't think you don't have a voice. You got Almighty God on your back. You got Almighty God's ear. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. Okay, get ready. James is about to gut punch us here. Thanks, James. Okay. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That seems reverse. Come on. Quick to speak, quick to anger, slow to hear. No. And this is James, he just, he's changing our whole categories here. 
Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay. Verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Okay, so remember, they're going through harsh conditions. And the temptation to rebuke any and every order that was being harsh towards them was at an all-time high. How many of you know, you get pushed around enough, it's, you get to that point where you're like, you got one more, right? It's kind of like, turn this cheek, turn that cheek. Okay, I'm out of cheeks. You know, where, where is this going to go from here? So they're really tempted. This revolutionary talk is really tempting for them to operate in. But James is saying, no, no, no. Remember biblical wisdom. The spirit of revolution that was, flip, that was going through the land and was trying to organize and rally to overthrow wasn't the Christian response. The militant Jewish resistance was emphasizing striking out the Romans and getting rid of these aristocratic vassals, these overlords that were putting all these rules and regulations. And, that, and here's how they do it. Is they were saying, this is what God wants us to do. See, the revolutionary tactic, the governmental tactic, will always pull God into its thing to say, we're right, God says so. So here was these vulnerable people caught in the middle and they're saying, hey, it's God's will for us to drive these people out who are very bad and doing wrong. And then James is on this side saying, no, no don't, that, ain't, that isn't the way. There's another way to do this. That the logic isn't to be fast to get angry and fast to do, to act and to move. But you should be fast at the most passive thing you can possibly do. Here. Here. In the right kind of hearing. So James associates righteousness with peace. And isn't that what the kingdom of God is? Help me think of it. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay, it's kind of like you married folk will know what I'm talking about you ever tried to listen well there's a few married folk in here I guess but your listening is really dissecting every sentence that is coming so that you can have ammunition in your gun when they're finished to shoot back at them Yeah, you're listening all right, but you're, you're taking notes of what's going on. And waiting for a moment of silence where you can interject, yeah! <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you said, mm-hmm, and then, you know, this is... The lack of listening, or listening to find the wrong things, to find something in the sentence to use against the other person, Instead of what James would say, patiently process the information. And if it's too heavy and hurtful, go out somewhere and go squeeze like a sponge. Get filled up, go somewhere else, squeeze out and process it. And you only respond until the Holy Ghost has talked to you and told you what to say. Quick to hear, slow to speak. 
slow to anger. Because the human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. You mean if I get really angry, that doesn't promote your agenda, God, or that doesn't... It's like God takes all the power out of our hands of everything we think would speed the process up. And he says, no, nope, you're going to have to trust me. Say, so, well, if I get angry and get angry enough, it'll move. He says, no. It doesn't work that way. You might get a response out of bullying or a response out of intimidation, but there'll be no change on the inside of the human heart. You'll be reduced to a communist dictator who doesn't care what the inward reality of the heart is. They only care that you're obedient. You know, that's the difference between Islam and Christianity. Christianity wants you to be the thing. Islam just wants you to obey the rules. They don't care what the in inward thoughts are. And Jesus is hitting us at the heart level. No, I don't want you to obey the rules. I want you to be the thing. The rules flow naturally. And if you've ever got a glimpse of this kind of righteousness, it'll change your life. I remember having a meltdown one time. I'd just gotten saved. Everything was going good. I was flying high, feeling real good about myself. And then this trial came, and it just sideswapped me. Really new and following the Lord. And so I just lost it, right? So I'm just verbally just going off. And I knew this was what I can't do this. This is bad. This is blah, blah, blah. And everything under the sun. And I'm going off. And I'm trying to, subconsciously, I think, elicit a response from somebody so that they would rebuke me and get mad and confirm what I was trying to say that wasn't true. That's how messed up we are. <laughs> or myself. I'm not going to put you all in that. And then there's my mom with tears in her eyes like this. And she said, when you're finished... I'm here if you want to talk about it. No! Get mad at me! Tell me how sorry I am. No, see, when righteousness like that hits your soul, that's more powerful than a verbal tongue lashing. And I wasn't ready for it. And it melted me. Melted me. And I knew what James was talking about here. The implanted word. Do you notice that? Which means it didn't start with you. It was something God put on the inside of you when you responded to the gospel. So now it becomes otherworldly. So when my mom did that, I said, whoa, that's not human. That's not normal. That's otherworldly. So I had to stop and take notice of something that was supernatural and not able to be replicated in the human flesh. So now at this point, I've got to understand that this is an implanted word. This is a supernatural work of God that only God can do. And it inspired me to say, God, let the same thing happen in me. But until you see it, you'll never ask for it. That's why Jesus says, let men see your good works so they might give glory to So it's so the Father that's in heaven. So it's not the good works. You're not doing good works so people say, wow, what, attaboy. Your works should be of such a kind that people are saying, oh my God, there's a God. 
Because how that is didn't come from no human. This is supernatural, and I still submit this to you. If it's not supernatural, God gets no glory in it, and you'll get all the credit, and people will think that you're the person that authored it. But in that moment, I knew it was implanted. See, this went against the Stoic philosophers of the day. They believed in innate reasoning, that we all had the ability to reason within us. James says, no, this isn't innate. This is implanted, that only God can put this inside of you. So yes, James is putting on us some strict rules here, some practical cut the fat off and cut the sinew and the silver skin and let's get to the meat and potatoes. Yes, he's doing that, but he's saying this can only be done by the grace of God as well. James is pointing us that yes, he gives us some strict things here, but he's also saying God is eager to give you the grace so that you can do this. He's eager to do it. James wants us to come away with only God can do that. That's why when we heard slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger, we thought, oh, Lord, help me. Because we understand that that's implanted. It is something supernatural from God. Verse 21, he talks about putting away all filthiness. This language here is referring to stripping off the dirty clothes, never putting them on again. And to begin to clothe yourself with Christ and putting in the implanted word of God that's able to save your souls. So the first time we says his word saves and you're the first fruits, that's the salvific gospel, the initial response. This implanted word is the continual obeying of God's word that would sanctify you and conform you into the image of Christ. So James is saying, don't start with just responding to the gospel. This implanted word is able to save your souls. How do we know we're walking in it? Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Thank you, James, for just making it so easy. It's great. Verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Man, you're going to be blessed in your doing. So he's encouraging these people that feel like, man, this is not paying off doing the right thing and following God. He says, no, 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 no. Keep this up because you're going to be blessed in this doing. What James is saying here is be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But now he's adding another element. Don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. Be a doer of these things. You know, Christianity is the only place where obedience is optional. No other place in your life, what you know to do, do you question it. But in Christianity is the place where we compartmentalize obedience and think, well, I've got faith, I don't have to have obedience. Well, I know, I know I've got the knowledge, so I don't have to walk this thing out. Or I'll get around to it eventually. 
But what James is saying here is that this is insanity. He's saying it's like a person that goes into a mirror, looks, finds out who he really is, and then never makes a change and walks away. How many of you look at yourself when you wake up in the morning? Come on now. Got the bed head and... What if you'd looked at yourself when you woke up and said, ooh, but then you said, hmm. <laughs> Great day today. That mirrors are not to be stayed at and just, that mirrors are to give a, an assessment so that we can make a change and go on about our day. See, mirrors aren't invented to worship yourself. Right? <laughs> mirrors are to say, oh, hmm, I got to get, get going here. Right? Got to fix it. So James is saying here, this is the insanity of hearing God's word and not doing it. It's like you go into the mirror and you've got a parsley flake. You've got a hair sprig of hair sleep, sticking up. You've got your teeth aren't brushed, and you look yourself over and you say, "Yeah, I probably need to. Oh, I'll get to it later." And then you walk away. Now, the mirrors in this day, the best mirrors were Corinthian bronze, and they would polish bronze. They didn't have mirrors like we did, so they weren't that great. That's why Paul says, "Right now, you see through a mirror dimly or darkly." He uses that expression because this is just polished brass that. So these mirrors aren't that great that Paul's talking about, but, but Paul's still drawing on this analogy of if you're a forgetful hearer, that's what it's like. It's insanity. It's insanity. Remember the evil queen on Snow White? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And she's looking in the mirror just to hear back how great she is. But then Snow White comes to town says, oh, you're not the fairest anymore. You notice the mirror didn't lie to her? It even risked getting busted. <laughs> and that's what the Bible says. The Bible risks being busted or being anger or whatever emotion you might have to tell you the truth about yourself. They said, okay, there's Snow White over here. Yeah, you're beautiful, queen, but this girl's beautiful on the inside too. Well, send her the poison apple. <laughs> That's what the religious structures do. There's something pure. Kill it. Let's kill it so that I can be the fairest in the land again. But there's a prince that has a kiss that can set you free. I don't care how many poison apples somebody's given you. There's a prince named Jesus Christ who's actually a king. And he can put a kiss on you that can bring you back to life. Well, we tied that in, didn't we? Come on now. That was cool. Man, long way around. Okay, what are we talking about? Okay, yeah. So, we should move on. The word of truth, the gospel. The Old Testament law, righteous and holy, but no power in and of itself to change you. 
There's no power in a commandment to change you. A commandment just lets you know how powerless you are to change yourself. And that's why we have to surrender our lives and say, God, by the Holy Ghost, enable me to do this. So God gives grace, and grace enables. Grace doesn't just sweep under the rug. Grace makes you into the thing that God would have you to be if you're willing to, to cooperate with Him. It's like the great theologian and philosopher Michael Jackson said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. What if we started there? How's Michael Jackson outdoing us? Come on now. Well, his song anyway, I guess. I don't know. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. Oh, man, come on, James. This person's religion is... Wow. Okay. Well, that puts it in perspective. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God of the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here he's still talking about this, this propaganda that was sweeping of, hey, let's overthrow the Romans. You need to go to war. Don't, don't love your enemies. You need to fight. This propaganda that was going, he's now saying he knows where it starts. Do you know where the propaganda always starts? It always starts with chatter. It always starts with assembling a group of people, strong-arming them, getting that group to grow, and if that group gets big enough, then we can enforce whatever we want to enforce. So James cuts it off at the deal and says, an unbridled tongue, you're not even in this thing. And then he says, you want to really be religious? You want to really go to war? Here's how you go to war. Defend the most defenseless people on the planet. You start defending the unborn. You start defending the orphan. You start defending the widow. What do all three of them have in common? Generally, no father. So God is saying, I'm the father. Now represent me in the earth and be a father. A father to those who don't have it. That is true undefiled religion. That's radical. And he says to keep unstained from the world. That he's using here a uh, language here, unstained from the world. This is sacrificial language. So when it says like a lamb without blemish or Jesus was a sacrifice without blemish, that this is the, this is the thing here that, that James is using. So what James would say here, remain unspotted from the world. In other words, be a spotless sacrifice like Christ. That we would be sacrificial lambs. And sometimes led to the slaughter. But in doing so, we'd be imitating Christ. And the cosmic powers and principalities that would look down and see someone living like that would be brought to nothing. And the ones that fought, the demons rub their hands together and say, all right, we got them. 
They're not operating in love anymore. Yes. Warped. They've put more faith in a political party than the gospel. Yes. We've got them. They like Rush Limbaugh more than the Bible. Yes. James is asking us to be an unblemished sacrifice. Willing to die for the powerless. Wow. Thank you, Lord. So in the end, Jesus is our final model. We have some good Old Testament models, but those aren't our models. Our model is Jesus. Models Jesus. Our models Jesus. And I think at the end of the day, that's what James is calling us into. He's saying, Remember your crucified Messiah? Remember that life? Okay, walk that life out by the grace of God and begin to trust. Begin to trust that my ways are higher than your ways. And you know the odd thing about it? The religious establishments failed, didn't they? The temple was destroyed. The Roman Empire, do you still think the Roman Empire is going? But in every continent, Jesus Christ's name is being exalted and lifted up. With two billion people Christians worldwide started with some old funky fishermen some tax collectors some rebels the scourge of society who were just willing to say Jesus will go with you and we won't move until the Holy Spirit falls on us we've been commissioned to go Jesus way is turning the whole world upside down it just is so God would have you get your gaze off of what you think is the most powerful and to put it on the man Christ Jesus and say imitate that imitate that thank you Lord let's pray Lord we just thank you God